Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Allie, and I'm excited to chat with you about my behavioral and mental health hybrid life and career where science drives and wellness steers. I admit I'm a hippie at heart, and I am totally on this wellness vibe, all the while I'm a radical behaviorist trying to find the meeting point of wellness and behavior science. I think a lot about parenting-spirited babes, mental health, child development, and the hilarious things that no one ever prepared me for in parenting. I've worked with a lot of families, but I've probably never worked with yours, so my judgment should never be mistaken for anything more than general statements about the nature of things. But you knew that already. So with that out of the way, let's get to it. Grab a coffee or a cocktail, maybe a pen. Here we go. Hey guys, it's episode four of the podcast, and today we are talking about wellness, we are talking about caregiver burnout, and we are talking about ways to optimize your wellness so that you avoid caregiver burnout. Um, Talking about wellness and caregiver burnout and avoiding stress is one of my favorite things to talk about. It's something that I'm really passionate about, and it's actually something that first sort of made this idea come to fruition when it came to sort of podcasting and blogging and all of the things that I really love to do when it comes to disseminating information about how the behavioral scope of practice can actually facilitate a wellness mindset. Um, In this episode, I really want to talk about what the signs of caregiver burnout are, what to do if you notice them, and some practical strategies for identifying them in yourselves and in others. Um, With all of that said, let's get into it. Um, The first thing that I really wanted to start off by saying is that when I think about my wellness perspective, I'm looking through a behavioral lens. So I'm looking at ways to achieve personal wellness and optimized outcomes using behaviorally sound learning principles that I apply to my students, that I apply to myself, and that I apply to the parents that I work with. And coming up with a way to explain my take on the pursuit of a wellness lifestyle, as it's often referred I'm looking through that behavioral lens, that, you know, formal training in behavior theory that I have, but also that formal training in counseling psychology. Those are two worlds that are realistically sometimes at odds. I find myself thinking about two things over and over when it comes to how to find a meeting place for the behavioral side of my life and the wellness-seeking side of my life. The first thing that I keep landing on is At the core of all of it, there is the behavioral understanding of antecedent strategies. That's the first thing. And the second thing that I keep landing on is that in understanding wellness, which is a commonly understood term in sort of that counseling psychology realm, I'm coming up against a roadblock. And that is that wellness, without a proper operationalized meaning or definition, could be considered too mentalistic for behaviorists to pursue. After all, I can see sort of my inner behavior critic saying, show me wellness. What exactly is wellness and how do you measure it? But still, I find myself coming back to the fact that I know that wellness and behavior theory can meet somewhere. And I think my job right now is to uncover that and to optimize outcomes in my own life and in the lives of the people that I'm supporting by finding that meeting point. So where does behavior and wellness meet? To both define wellness in concrete and even perhaps observable behavioral language is at least part of the starting point, right? If we can't observe wellness, there must be some indicators of wellness that can tie into our understanding of how we measure it. How do you know if you're well? How do you know if you've achieved wellness in your life? 
I know that at least I strive to, in my personal life, find the balance between behavioral ideas and the pursuit of wellness. I know that in theory, the idea that we are all pursuing wellness is something I identify with at my core. I know that there must be somewhere where these two worlds collide. And if my life is any example, then it has to be true. And I must not be the only person that's thinking this because I find myself constantly in communities of wellness-seeking individuals who, without even realizing it, are using behavioral strategies to keep the momentum going. So I go back to conceptualizing my worldview, right? Initially, I told you about antecedent strategies as a starting point for how wellness could be understood by those who are looking for more of a behavioral understanding or really even just those who prefer a concrete versus abstract understanding of what it means to be well and to seek wellness. So let's get the jargon out of here so we can all get on the same page, shall we? When I talk about a behavioral understanding, I'm talking about a perspective that takes into account learning theory, essentially, theories of reinforcement and consequence, and how we ultimately condition ourselves to engage in better habits that put us forward in terms of meeting our goals. It's how we create meaningful habits, and on the other hand, how we break habits that aren't serving us or that aren't helping us get to where we want to go. Antecedent strategies are something that I think are at the core of wellness seeking, and I mentioned that a little bit at the beginning. So what are antecedent strategies? For me, there are those small changes in behavioral terms, we can call them environmental modifications, for example, like let's say ridding your pantry of junk to help you eat less junk. These are small environmental modifications or changes to your environment that you do before the behavior that you're trying to change happens. So before I binge on chips, let me just go ahead and rid my pantry of my chips and that will help me get me closer to my goal seems pretty basic, but it's also a core behavioral principle that is at the center of almost all behavior intervention. Hopefully you're still with me. As someone who has worked with clients to reduce stress and essentially optimize well-being through self-care, mindfulness, parent coaching and training, self-awareness development, all of what I'm saying really resonates with me. And it's why I keep landing on this idea of antecedent strategies as an essential component of wellness seeking through behavioral lens. In order to achieve mental clarity and mental wellness, emotional balance, and physical well-being, we need to be able to understand how we're using antecedent strategies proactively to get us closer to our desired outcome. So you may be wondering at this point, who is this podcast for? Who should listen to this episode? Maybe you've recently been advised that you need to or you should make a lifestyle change to better your mental health or your physical health or your spiritual connection. Whatever it is, maybe that's you. Maybe you're overwhelmed with life. Where to begin, right? You need a concrete plan towards taking control back and you want to be held accountable for your actions. Maybe you're just a busy parent and you can't seem to find the time to make wellness a priority or you want to make wellness a priority for your whole family, but you just can't win over your kids or your significant other, or you think it's too new age, or you think it's too out of this world and unattainable for you. Maybe you've just simply heard about mindfulness and wellness and all of these words that end with ness, and you want to know if they're going to be applicable to your life. And if they're not, at least you learned about it. 
Maybe you're a professional who also happens to be a parent who's looking for balance or a professional who happens to be looking to brush up on their self-care strategies in order to maintain a balanced lifestyle and lead their clients in a balanced lifestyle. Essentially, this podcast is for you if you're human, you have some kinds of feelings and thoughts, and you sometimes get overwhelmed with life on planet Earth. I know I can relate to that last sentence the most out of everything that I've said, and if you're still with me, you should definitely keep listening. All right, so we've got the basics out of the way. Now let's get into it. So we're talking about burnout. We're talking not just about burnout, but we're talking specifically about parental and caregiver burnout. When we're thinking about optimizing our wellness as a strategy to prevent stress or caregiver fatigue, what we're really talking about are those antecedent interventions or those antecedent strategies that I talked about initially. That's really just a fancy way of something of saying that it's something that we're going to do, ideally, before we actually feel stressed or at least before our stress, stress peaks, bubbles over, becomes rage, spirals out of control. You got the idea. When we don't act before we boil over, we risk serious caregiver burnout. Burnout is a state of being where the person experiencing it feels depleted. You know, they report feeling overextended, worn out, burning the candle at both ends, emotionally and physically maxed. Burnout impacts performance, self-perception, Essentially, your ability to carry out your day-to-day tasks, from folding the laundry to brushing your teeth, from driving the car to cooking dinner. And that doesn't even begin to address the way that it affects your professional and social life. Unfortunately for us, those who were the most excited and eager, perhaps overzealous and passionate, are the most likely to experience burnout. Parental burnout, any burnout tends to look and feel like postpartum depression in a lot of ways, but it tends to be a lot less talked about and a lot more long-term if untreated. You know when you feel like you're just going through the motions, you're no longer motivated, excited, eager, when you just can't bounce back from the feelings that you may be approaching or be in the throes of burnout? That's caregiver burnout, and that is what we're talking about today. And if you've identified with anything that I've said so far, keep listening. And if you haven't, Hopefully you won't because you'll implement the antecedent strategies that we're talking about and optimize outcomes. So here's a word of caution. Let me start by saying, guys, I get it. Parenting didn't come with a handbook. It didn't come with a Bible or 10 commandments of parenting effectively. Even those of us with degrees on degrees on degrees in child management, on child development, in behavior management, in self-care, in wellness, in all of it, we still struggle. I think if parenting did come with a rule book, one of the most modern and essential rules that I would sort of scream from the rooftops or print in my 10 commandments of parenting is thou shall not compare thyself to other parents on social media. Let me repeat that. Do not compare yourself to others on social media. If you've done this before, you're probably nodding your head right now because we all have. But the thing you need to remember is that when you're comparing yourself to other people who are using Instagram filters and Facebook to highlight their lives and the joys of their lives, it's not a lie, but it's not the whole truth. We don't put those, you know, those raw emotions on on face, Facebook or social media or Instagram because That's not the image we want to display. And that in itself is an issue. So if you're listening and you're on any social media right now, I encourage you to use the hashtag 
hashtag truth in social when you are being vulnerable and when you are telling it like it is and when you are not moving dirty dishes out of the way to snap a picture and put it on Instagram that looks picture perfect, when you are not, you know, um, putting a highlight reel and acting like it's your real life, when you are not filtering your life and when you are being real and authentic, just hashtag it truth and social because the more that that gets trending, the more that we are promoting a culture where having your shit together is not the gold standard. There's also a page on Instagram that's actually called truth and social. They're the ones that spearheaded the whole hashtag truth and social um, sort of trend and following. And if you don't follow them, I totally recommend it. Um, It was started by two moms. They're amazing. They keep it real. And I just can't think of anything better than perpetuating, you know, reality is sometimes messy and that is okay. So I digress. Guys, parenting is complicated and it is even further complicated by the quest for perfect parenting status. To be the epitome of that perfect black and white photo with that perfectly placed pop of color, the filtered existence that is not reality. If we spend our time trying to attain a goal that is unrealistic, we are 100% going to fail. 10 times out of 10, you will fail if you are trying to achieve a goal that is unrealistic for you. And that is not to be discouraging. That means set realistic goals for yourself. That means set measures of progress and set yourself up with strategies that are going to position you to not just hit your goals, but exceed them, to thrive as a parent. Because we all have it within us. We just need to dig deep. Okay, in real life, shit is going to happen. You will tumble down a hill. You'll roll your ankle as you're stepping to the car. You'll roll your ankle on a piece of Lego. You will trip on an LOL doll. And even with all of that, life is beautiful. Life doesn't actually need a filter to be amazing and to be wonderful. And you can both appreciate the beauty of the real world while being tapped in or mindful of the beautiful mess, the sheer chaos that is parenthood. It is chaos for everyone. I don't care what filter you slap on your parenting existence. It is messy and that's okay because that's how it's designed to be. The idea that we have it all together seems to be this millennial mom or dad or caregiver pursuit. But many of us who aren't millennials are also trying to no avail to keep up. As you navigate your day to day, as you reflect on the topics within this resource, within this podcast, within all of the resources I have available for you online, bear this in mind. Consider how it impacts you, how it impacts your current potential or impending burnout, and more importantly, how it might impact your self-worth. Burnout is more than just stress. It's more than not having high standards for yourself. That's not it at all. It's more than just not measuring up. It's it's all-encompassing. And you may not be experiencing it right now, but if you don't take the steps to optimize your wellness, you may be going down that road. If not right this second, at some point throughout your day, at some point throughout your parenting journey. So let's get a little bit behavioral. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint a little picture. So you might be familiar with the ABC framework for understanding behavior. So the A represents the antecedent, the B represents the behavior, and the C represents the consequence. So when I'm working with my clients, we often use this framework for a lot of different things. We use it for 
understanding why our kids behave the way they do. We understand this framework insofar as its relation to our own behavior and, you know, understanding our own triggers for stress and for anxiety and for, you know, the feeling of overwhelm and frustration. We understand our own behavior in terms of analysis so that we can understand how to change it. Just like in, you know, behavior theory when we're dealing with our kids, the consequence impacts whether the behavior continues. So if we can modify the consequence or we can modify the antecedent environment, we can more likely than not modify the behavior. And in the case of parent burnout and stress, the behaviors that we're looking for to change are those behaviors that are not helping us live optimized outcomes that are not helping us reach our, you know, true parenting sort of our, our instincts, our true parenting nature, that the things that are getting in the way of us parenting mindfully and purposefully and to the best of our ability. So for example, let's just say the antecedent, we're going to do a little ABC analysis and the antecedent is you're feeling stressed. That's the trigger. You need a coffee. So you go to Starbucks and you order one. The behavior is that you reach forward a little abruptly, if you're honest, you knock over your entire cup of coffee and you spill it all over the barista and the person standing beside you. The consequence that's triggered is an automatic negative thought. Your head and your inner critic goes, are you bleeping kidding me? And that's when your head spirals into all these negative thoughts that you know confirm your deepest and darkest beliefs about yourself. The ABC chart is for demonstrating the connection between the state of being or the antecedent condition as a setting event for the behavior, so spilling the coffee, that yields the consequence, which is the unhelpful outcome. If you can modify your consequence, you can decrease the likelihood that the behavior occurs in future. Or at the very least, you can decrease your likelihood of focusing on that so intensely that it impacts and disrupts the rest of your day. Are you with me? If you're not, don't worry. We're gonna slow down a little bit and go back a step. Being stressed and exhausted or depleted is a setting event. It's a situation or context that impacts your behavior. Maybe if you weren't so tired and stressed, you wouldn't have spilled the coffee in the first place. Maybe if you were more relaxed, a little more mindful, a little more present in the moment, instead of running through all the thoughts that were going in your head on sort of like a hamster on a hamster wheel, you wouldn't have immediately reached forward the way you did. You wouldn't have spilled the coffee. And let's just say at the end of the day, you still spilled the coffee. I bet you, if you hadn't been as worked up as you were in the first place, you wouldn't have immediately catastrophized the situation. If you were one of my clients under 10 years old, I might say, what's the size of the problem? Does your reaction match the size of the problem? So let's go back to our ABC contingency. You spill your coffee and the consequence is an automatic thought that says, are you bleeping kidding me? Oh man, I mess everything up. So does that consequence match the behavior. So let's say your child spilled a glass of milk at the table and they said, are you kidding me? Oh, I mess everything up. Would you tell them that that consequence does not match the behavior or it does match the behavior? Likely you would say, honey, you made a mistake. You reached too quickly or you weren't paying attention or you weren't being mindful and you weren't focused. So you weren't really paying attention and watching what you were doing. That's all that happened. You don't mess everything up. That seems like you might be jumping to conclusions a little bit. And that is an exact situation where you would talk your child through a situation with the right answer or, you know, the reasoning and logic part of your brain that if you were in the situation yourself and you had been in a state of, you know, anxiety or stress or the setting events were right, you might have actually responded exactly like your child. 
one of our jobs as parents is to coach our kids through those kinds of situations because when we're not in the situation, our logical and reasonable side of our brain is able to see that if you spill over a glass of milk or you spill your cup of coffee, that's not a level 10 problem. That's not really a situation where your inner critic should come out and you should confirm all your deepest, darkest beliefs about how incompetent you are. But when you're stressed or when you're experiencing burnout or depression or anxiety, and that's when your inner critic thrives. That's when the emotional part of your brain starts reacting and not the reasonable and logical side of your brain. So when we're approaching burnout, our default responses tend to be those over-the-top inner critic versions of our, you know, of our thought processes. It's where our emotional brain literally takes over and our logical brain is sort of pushed down, pushed down and told to be quiet. If you came to see me with a challenge like this one-on-one, -on -one, I might say, let's explore the world of CBT. Let's talk about how we can respond to these thoughts. You know, one of these uh, sort of thoughts in isolation where you're jumping to conclusions is not a huge problem, but when it becomes your default way of thinking, it can be really hard to rebound from small problems and equally hard to get through your day if that's your thought process constantly. If everything you do confirms that you're a moron, that, that's not going to work for you and that's not going to yield optimized outcomes. And frankly, it's not logical or reasonable, but it doesn't take away from how real it feels in the moment. Usually, I try to pursue mindfulness on a daily basis so that I'm less prone to those stress, stress reactions. And that's one way that I pursue an antecedent strategy in order to change the outcome or the consequence so that when I'm stressed and I do knock over my coffee, I don't turn into that sort of downward spiral that confirms all my deepest, darkest, and most concerning thoughts about myself. But that's because I have a background in mental health, and I wouldn't expect anybody else to pursue that if they didn't realize that that's all they needed. And realistically, it's a small thing that you can do that can actually lead you towards much more optimized outcomes. So what I want to do is very briefly take you through what that might look like. So the first thing that you need to do is become aware. So before you're going to pursue mindfulness as an antecedent strategy, you need to develop some awareness of your own um, you know, negative thought processes or your, you know, your inner critic or whatever it is that you do when you're stressed. Those sort of those times that you allow your emotional brain to take over your logical brain. What are those? So you need to highlight those in yourself so that you can identify them when they happen and you can understand what you're experiencing. And ideally, you can tell those sort of catastrophic thoughts and those, you know, emotionally reactive thoughts to stop. And you can at least label them and know what they are and not lean into them. So the first thing that you need to do is understand what all of these sort of negative thought processes are. Whether or not you're experiencing caregiver burnout, you may experience these kinds of sort of negative coping mechanisms and negative thought processes. But we often find that when we are in the throes of burnout or depression or anxiety, that's when these negative thoughts or these maladaptive behaviors tend to become pervasive. So what I mean by that is they tend to be those thoughts and feelings that we actually can't shake. So what are they? So they're called cognitive distortions, and I'm going to run through just a couple of my favorite ones. So the first one is called catastrophizing. So that's just like an overgeneralization. It's when you view a situation or an outcome as way worse than it actually is, acting like it's the end of the world and that you'll never be able to bounce back. The next one is personalizing. So this is when we mistakenly interpret the actions or the words or the behavior of others as judgments or reactions to us. So let's say a group of friends is laughing and joking and we walk by and we immediately assume that they're making fun of us. Or, you know, we read a comment on Facebook and we immediately assume that it's directed at us. Or somebody's status update says something on Twitter and we immediately think, what the hell, they're obviously talking about us because we had this particular interaction. 
Polarized thinking is another one, and it's when you're too linear. You start classifying your events and actions and behavior as either black or white, good or bad, smart or dumb, and you're not realizing that life is nuanced and experiences are nuanced and life often lies in the gray area and things are not necessarily just good or bad. And, you know, sometimes there can be a silver lining to something that's not great. And sometimes there can be, you know, more positive outcomes that come out of things that you wouldn't have otherwise expected. The next one is filtering. It's when we're unable to see past a negative interaction. So for example, you have one challenging moment in your day and it defines the entire outlook for the rest of your day, week, or month. Um, you know, when you're you're asked about your day, you dwell on the single most challenging moment without recalling all of the successes or small victories that you've had. Um, and then there's blaming. Blaming is when we essentially play the blame game. We fail to take ownership over our feelings and our actions, and we essentially empower others with defining how we feel. So you might say something like, you made me do that, or you made me sad, rather than saying um, something that puts the ownership back on you and acknowledges your own role in sort of guiding yourself to whatever destination you end, um, you end in. Um, we are the captain of our own ship when it comes to how we respond to things around us. We can't always control all of the things around us, but we can control how we respond to them. And once you stop placing blame on others, you feel much more empowered in order to sort of change the direction and pivot if you need to. The last one is emotional reasoning. So we talked a little bit about that already, and that's when we treat our emotions as fact. So we stop recognizing that emotions can be tricky and that they don't actually always reflect reality. Um, you may feel anxious or nervous about something, but that doesn't mean something bad is going to happen. Um, if you honor all of your emotions just because you feel them, you may be giving in to emotions that don't reflect present state. Um, you may feel sad even though all is well. Um, if you reason with your feelings and you use those feelings to justify false beliefs, it becomes a vicious cycle that doesn't lead you towards optimized outcomes. I always tell parents, parental intuition, or mommy intuition as it's often called, is a dangerous thing because of course we want to trust our instincts, but those of us who are prone to anxiety and to feelings of sort of impending doom and fear need to be very careful to differentiate mommy intuition or gut feelings from anxiety and it can be almost impossible to do that and if you lean in too heavily to your gut feelings or to your nervousness and you're you know calling it intuition you may be confirming false beliefs that are not accurate and you may be perpetuating sort of maladaptive coping mechanisms for you if you avoid every mall because you have this gut feeling that something bad is going to happen you're going to be robbed or you know worse you're never going to go to a mall again and more likely than not nothing was going to happen so you just need to be able to navigate your world understanding your sort of cognitive distortions and how they impact your life you're going to understand yourself so much better just by understanding your own cognitive distortions and we've probably all identified with all of these but you'll also probably find that one or two or maybe three of these cognitive distortions really resonates with you and Understanding yourself and that sort of psychoeducation piece is an essential antecedent strategy for optimizing outcomes because it allows you to be aware. And being aware is the first step in order to change your behavior. You can't be critically um, analyzing your behavior and your responses to day-to-day -day situations if you're not aware of the way you may be distorting your perceptions. When we're experiencing caregiver burnout, that's when these cognitive distortions really rear their head. That's when we can't shake that gut feeling that we call it or, you know, that inner critic that tells us that we're worthless and that we can do no right. 
So by understanding that and by using that as a way to overcome those challenging thoughts and and sort of behavior patterns that we have, we're actually leading ourselves towards optimized outcomes. And that really is one of the primary goals of therapy. The whole idea that the better I understand myself, my strengths and my needs, the better I am at calling myself out on my bullshit. The rational part of your brain that you can so easily access when you need to talk your child off a ledge or navigate a social conflict between your kids or perhaps your best friend, that part of your brain that is rational and logical is often thrown out the window when it comes to looking at your own life and looking at your own experiences. When you need to access that part of your brain, but you can't, you end up spiraling into taking into account only your emotional reasoning. And when you're overwhelmed and you're anxious and you're potentially walking towards or in the middle of caregiver burnout, your rational mind essentially goes out the window, especially when it comes to being able to be self-reflective and to understand and critically analyze your behavior. So the better you understand your triggers and your response behaviors, the more empowered you are to change them. And that's where mindfulness as a practice comes into play. When it comes to utilizing mindfulness as a strategy for optimized wellness, it means you are essentially turning off your inner dialogue for better or worse. It means you're essentially quieting the mind. And when you're in a funk or in a depression or experiencing burnout, your mind can be a very negative place to exist. And if you're not able to tap into the present moment, you're not able to redirect those self-deprecating or inner critic thoughts that spiral you further and further. You're not able to access the rational and logical side of your brain. Instead, you're being reactive and you're being emotional and you're using maladaptive coping mechanisms. So in behavioral terms, we're never going to ask you to stop using one coping mechanism without giving you a replacement. So we're going to say, instead of using those maladaptive coping mechanisms, like those distorted thought processes or you know, those sort of inner critic habits that you have, we're going to ask you to use mindfulness strategies proactively. So when you find yourself slipping into a cognitive distortion or, you know, a a distorted perception, we're going to ask you to redirect your thoughts, bring them to the present moment, focus intentionally on what you're doing, go through the motions, literally focus on things that you otherwise find mundane. So you're making coffee and you start spiraling into a negative place with your thoughts, thinking about who knows what, too many tabs open in your brain and you can't focus and you're, you know, self-deprecating and you're thinking negatively. So what you're going to do is you're going to stop just like you would tell your child to stop if they were spiraling out of control. You're going to redirect them to something more manageable. You're going to redirect your thoughts to something more manageable, just like you would if your child was having a tantrum and was being out of control. You're going to bring them back to the present moment. You're going to focus on things that are in front of you. You can experience what you're doing. You're going to think about what you see, what you touch, what you smell. You're going to think about the steps involved in completing the task that you're doing. Whatever it is that you need to do to bring your mind to the present moment, And to put the thoughts that are negative, that are not helpful, that are not rational, that are working you up instead of working you towards sort of wellness and optimized outcomes, you're going to redirect them just like you would with your kiddo's behavior. It's so funny because we are so quick to 
tell our kids that their behavior is too big, that, you know, their reactions don't match the problem or, you know, tell our toddler that they shouldn't be having a meltdown because their cookie is misshapen or, you know, they actually wanted peas instead of cucumber, but they never vocalized it. And, and now they're, you know, met with utter disappointment when, you know, they're called to the dinner table. It's so easy for us to tell our kids in those moments that they're being irrational, but it's quite difficult for us to tell ourselves or to tell our inner dialogue that we too are being irrational. And if we can't get in the habit of telling ourselves when we need to chill and telling ourselves that we are utilizing a negative coping mechanism, a distorted thought process, you know, a skewed understanding and perception, then we are destined for caregiver burnout. You need to recognize when you are using those habits ineffectively and you are using them more than you feel is comfortable for you. And that's when you need to reassess what's going on. And you need to look at your antecedent strategies, look at your coping mechanisms, and look at the outcome. And if your antecedent strategies are not leading you to behaviors that are helping you instead of hindering you, then you're on the wrong track. And that's okay, because the first step to changing it is realizing that you're doing something wrong. And understanding yourself is the only way that you can get there. And being able to critically look at how you're doing right now in the moment is essential and bringing yourself to the moment in terms of mindfulness in terms of being present where you are and just turning off those thoughts that really tempt you to you know think about 35 things at once or think about the what ifs you know think about what's happening tomorrow the day after the day after in 10 years in 20 years until you can turn off all of that and quiet your mind to the present you are destined to keep repeating those maladaptive behavior strategies that are not working for you. And the second you allow yourself the freedom to let go of all of those negative coping mechanisms, you will be amazed at how empowered you feel. It is as simple as being present in the moment when it comes to finding a replacement behavior for those thoughts that are irrational and that spiral out of control. This is fully within your power to do. The first step is self-awareness. And it seems like a big task and it seems like something that you may not be equipped to do on your own. But I want to remind you that couldn't be farther from the truth. You can use the ABC formula to highlight some areas of need in your life. Or you can just think critically about what are your coping mechanisms? How are they working for you? And how can you optimize your response patterns to yield more optimized outcomes for yourself that bring you closer to wellness? That's all we've got for today, and I have had so much fun talking to you about caregiver burnout. If you haven't seen it already, I could go on and on and on talking about this, but I will stop here because I feel like I am losing my voice, and despite that, I just felt like the urge to get this out. Um, today is Autism Awareness Day, and I am sitting here recording this podcast for you, rocking blue, being super proud of the community that I am part of and that I am supporting, while also recognizing that my community is in desperate need of some support for the caregivers. And I just want to remind you, if you are part of the autism community, and if you are not part of the autism community, neglecting your wellness as a parent is probably the worst thing you can do for your family. And though it may seem selfish to put yourself first, I want to remind you that if you don't put yourself first, you cannot do everything you need to. I always think about the adage, you cannot pour from an empty cup. And that could not ring truer for me in my own personal life. And it has been one of the adages that I have found most applicable to my world as a person that supports 
families on my professional side and who supports individuals and professionals who give and give and give on a daily basis without asking for much in return. And if you do not fill your cup, you will find yourself depleted and you will find yourself out of energy and you will find yourself on the road to burnout. Don't let that be you. You have the strategies, you have the awareness, and all you need to do is make wellness a priority. And that's what your community is here for, to help you, to champion you through this, and to watch you thrive. I know you can do this. All you got to do is put some goals on a piece of paper, commit to it, and then you're on the road to success. Thanks for listening.